So we've asked you to be praying for uh, some things over the last uh, several weeks and months. One of those things that we asked you to pray about was uh, with regard to my home church, uh, Calvary Baptist Church of Messina. Uh, it was two weeks ago that they had um, uh, my nephew, Stephen, come and candidate for uh, a position on staff there as an associate pastor. They're not a big church. In fact, they're probably a little smaller than us. Um, but uh, they're stepping out in faith and asking God for wisdom. And the goal is to have Stephen become the associate pastor with a view over the next year or two to move into the senior pastor role. Uh, and they voted unanimously to do that um, at their last business meeting. So a uh, big transition for them coming up. They've never had a multi-staff church before. Um, they also have never been in a position where they've um, kind of mentored a new man into the pastoral leadership. Um, and they, they normally, you know, it's Messina, right? So they normally lose their pastor and go two or three years without one because who wants to move to Messina with all that cold weather up there? But anyway, Stephen knows what he's in for. Um, he did ask uh, for prayer regarding the sale of their house down in Florida. That's, by the way, where they're moving from. Um, so if you pray for him in that regard, I know that they would um, appreciate that. Uh, so that's a good thing. We've also asked you to pray about our... Um, uh, my bus driving, uh, so I, I've shared with you some of you that uh, I was uh, hoping to get the fish run. Well, that didn't pan out, um, but there are two other openings that nobody knew were coming, um, and so within the next couple of weeks, I will have one of those routes, um, so it will be a, a, a contract position which has certain benefits to it, uh, and you know, can I tell you this? My prayer uh, life in some ways has changed since I started driving bus, Okay. Um, when I first started driving, I, I used to pray, hey, help me, God, to remember all of the stops, not leave any students behind. But over this last week, with all that fog we had, my prayer has become, God, keep the bus on the road. You know, we think that that's kind of, you know, we chuckle, and that's, that's what our response is, but that's a very serious thing. I mean, when you can't see from here to the, the back of the, uh, the worship center, it's not in your hands. It's in somebody else's, and that's God's hands. And so um, it's now a combined prayer. Help me, help me see the students that are waiting to get on the bus, but keep the bus on the road so uh, nothing happens to the students. And so I I'm thankful for God's working out. And again, the continued opportunities that I have to uh, just represent Christ there at the bus garage have been amazing. And so if you pray uh, for, as you pray for me, I know you do, uh, it would be great if you would remember the situations that uh, arise at the bus garage as well. And then I just got a text for Scott from Scott says she's found. All right, so praise the Lord for that. There's more answer. Praise the great that we pray to a God who hears and answers. And he may not always answer in our time when we want him to answer, but he always does answer. He might not always answer the way we want him to, but that's a good reminder for us that we have to conform our will into his will. We have to seek his will and then allow him to work as he sees fit because he always knows what is best. He knows the end from the beginning uh, and so we can trust him with our very lives. He's never done anything to cause us to not trust him. So we serve a great God who is hearing our prayers as we pray them and answering them according to his plan and his will. All right, so we're going to continue our study this morning in the book of Ephesians. We're jumping into chapter 6. Um, last week we looked at chapter 5, and you said you might have thought, Pastor, you're meddling, you're sticking your nose into my own home life, and I don't know that I want that or like that or appreciate that. We talked about husbands and wives and how wives are supposed to submit to, your, to their husbands. Um, and if you don't like that concept, I encourage you, and you didn't hear the message last week, go back, look at it, listen to it. It's on the, it's on the um, Facebook, it's on YouTube. You can hear it, you can listen to it, and then we can have a discussion about it afterwards. If you were here and you still don't like it, I, I'm not even going to say I'm sorry because I believe that that's what God wants us to do as men and women who represent him in this world. So my meddling ways are going to continue this morning. Okay, last week we talked about husbands and wives, and, 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 and let me just say this also. Uh, not only did we mention that the wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, and there's a whole bunch of, in, in, in wrapped up in that, okay? And it's not simply because 
It's not simply that women are a um, less important or less equal part in the marriage. That has absolutely nothing to do with it, and it's not even true, okay? Um, and I, I explained that all last week, all right? Um, and also the husbands. Husbands didn't get off easy last week, okay? Husbands were reminded that they're to love their wives. You say, well, that's easy, especially if you think of me as the wife. I, I, not me, but your, your wife. No, that's not necessarily it either. Because it's not just love your wife, but it's love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church, okay? So it's not just love, and and, and by the way, we also talked about what that word love means. It's not the skewed aspect of what the world thinks love is, but it's that sacrificial giving of yourself, okay? So even though the ladies have a difficult task in submitting to their own husbands, the, wives, or the, the, the men have the task of loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And, and if we take it one step further back the week before, we learned that submitting shouldn't be that big a deal for the wife because we're already submitting to one another in the things of the Lord. Okay, So we're going to jump ahead this morning. And, and kids, children... You're on for this morning, okay? We're going to be talking mostly to you, and you're going to say, well, I don't have to listen. Well, yes, you do, because you know what? There's some things in here for moms and dads to help you as you raise your children. And, and can I remind you that we're not actually raising children? Pastor, what are you talking about? We're not raising today. They all come out of the womb. They're all about this big. Some are a little chunkier. Some are, they're all children. no. We are raising adults. We want the children that God has granted to us to be effective, productive members of society, but more importantly, we want them to be God-honoring members of society, those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior who can make an impact in the world where God has placed them. And can I tell you this, kids? You're never too young to start that. Once you become a born-again child of God, a believer in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can begin to have an influence on your friends all around you, okay? So as you go to school and as you play sports and as you do whatever it is that you do, you have the opportunity, just like adults, to be used by God to lead others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why we do the things we do around here. We want you to be trained. We want you to understand what truth is so you can give an account, give a reason of the hope that is in you. It's not just an adult thing. It's a thing for children as well. So this morning we continue our trek, if you will. Uh, uh, That trek is that worthy walk. How do you and I, uh, young and old, uh, men and women... How do we walk the walk that God has called us to? Paul told us in chapter 4 that we are to walk worthy of the calling of which we have been called. And then he began to tell us in each phase of life, each aspect of life, how it is that we walk worthy. What is it that makes our walk a worthy walk? And, And as I said, last week we talked about the husband and wife. And he compared the relationship between the husband and the wife to the relationship that Jesus Christ himself has with the church. Wow, what an important comparison that is. This is not just any love relationship. This is the love relationship that caused God to send his son from heaven to earth as a babe born in a manger who then walked and lived his life perfect and holy, the son of God, and went to a cross and died there demonstrating his love for us. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. So men, you can never say, uh, it's too hard to love my wife. You don't know her. Jesus died for us while we were sinners. We have the privilege and blessing of, of living and working and leading women who, for the most part here, have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They've been redeemed, like we've been redeemed. And so we, we work together to honor and glorify our great God. Jesus gave his life on the cross for dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. 
like, I'm going to say it backwards, like me and like you, okay? And so as we think about that, God has equipped us and given us everything we need to do what he asks us to do, to walk worthy of the calling that he has called us to. Husbands, can I remind you that we talked last week about the priority of the husband-wife relationship? Yes, God has blessed us with kids and grandkids, but men and women, you guys need to make your relationship the priority in the home. Because when that's falling apart and crumbling around behind you, the kids don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to look, where to find wisdom and help and guidance. And I, and I believe that was clear in what Paul talked about last Sunday in Ephesians chapter 5. Well, let's, let's move on. We want to understand that as we submit to God's will for our lives, as revealed in the pages of Scripture, we sang that song this morning, right? The Bible stands, and it will forever. The Bible is our authority in faith and practice and in living life. The Bible tells us how to do life, even in relationship to our marriage and into our raising of children. So as we submit ourselves to the Word of God, we can be confident that God will allow us to live and help us to live as He calls us to live. God wants us to have right relationships, and if we're committed to allowing His Word to control our lives, we will be controlled in a way that honors our great God, and we will Walk the worthy walk. So let's jump into our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. It should be on the screen. We're going to stand together as we read God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses... Uh-oh. That's not the right one. We, we've talked enough about that. We're going to move on. Take your copy of the scriptures. That's why you carry them with you, right? We're coming to church. So if it's on your phone, that's great. If it's in a leather bound or an imitation leather bound, that's also great. Um, but we're going to stand together. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. All right. Here we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. You may be seated. We're only going to get to the first, uh, first four verses this morning of what we read, but I wanted to read the rest of it because it reminds us that we're doing this because of the will of God and because of the power of God that is in our, word, in our lives. We picked that up in the last part of what we read. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 set the pattern for how we are to live as moms and dads and children in the home. Now, how many people, you don't have to raise your hands, would love to have just a peaceful home? Yeah, we probably all would love to have a peaceful home. And sometimes we, we, we lack that peace in our homes. Um, you know, we had, our, we had two of our grandchildren yesterday. And I don't, you know, they get loud and they get, you know, excited. And that's okay. I, we love that. It's when they start to bickering with one another and fight. Grandma, so-and-so did such-and-such. Grandpa, hey, get along. Love one another. Do what is right. We always encourage them. We encouraged our children when they were growing up um, to be at peace with all people, starting with your siblings. If you can't get along with your siblings, you're in trouble. Okay? Because those are the people that you should love more than any other person in the world outside your mom and dad. 
You have a lifelong relationship with them. And sometimes the home is hard to have peace. Sometimes the home is difficult because of the same reason everything else is difficult. That three-letter word called sin. And you know what sin makes us do? Sin makes us look out for me. Me first. I don't care about anybody else sometimes. I want what's best for me. Well, Paul's going to help us figure out how we live putting God first and then the relationships within the home fall into place as they ought. If a home is genuinely to be a Christian home, and that's what we want, right? We want our homes to be Christian homes. If a home is to be genuinely a Christian home, then all those in the home must be living the way God calls us to live. We must be living according to God's will for the home. In verses 22 through 32 in chapter 5, Paul addressed the wives and the husbands. He has to start there because they're the ones who are modeling. They are the ones who are setting the tone for the home. So he starts at the top and he works down. He wants mom and dad to understand that if they're not on the right page of Scripture with their children, then their children are going to struggle through life. In chapter 6, he turns his focus to the children and the relationship that should exist between parents and children. In the first four verses of our chapter this morning, it's a popular passage of Scripture. Parents like verse 1, right? Moms and dads, you like that first verse. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children tend to jump down to verse 4, right? Where it says, and you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath. It's a kind of similar to we ha- what we had last week. Husbands, li- wives do this, husbands do this. It's the, it's the this and the that. Paul doesn't leave anybody out here in the family mix. He includes everybody. And it's not a coincidence that these two verses are in the same context. They go hand in hand. And we can't really understand verse 4 without understanding the previous verses. So let's dig in this morning. Verses 1 through 3, we see here the beginning steps. Learning to walk, if you will. Learning to walk is a highlight for all children, right? I can remember when our children started to walk. Josh took his first steps in the basement of Grandma Laura's house in Illinois. It was funny. Um, they, he had gotten, or his cousin actually got this gift. Uh, it's a stand-up behind walker. Um, and, and Nathan really wasn't interested in it. But Josh got a hold of that thing, and he pushed that thing from one end of the basement to the other end of the basement, back and forth and back and forth all night long. And the next morning he woke up and he didn't want to do anything. He didn't want his legs hurt so bad. He never takes so many steps in his life. Okay? And his legs just hurt. But towards the end of that evening, he took his first steps. Wow! It was, he was our first child. We, we knew that at some point he was going to start walking because he'd been crawling all over the place, getting into things. And, and then he took his first steps. We were excited. Of course, we didn't have these things, right? You couldn't record it and video it. And, um, we had a video recorded, but it was never in the right place at the right time. Um, but anyway, he took his first steps, and we were so excited about it. We had some pictures of it, and it was cool. He, he was walking. At least that's what we thought at that moment in time. We kind of changed our minds a few days later when he was all over getting into things that we didn't really want him to get into. But anyway, Rachel took her first steps when we were celebrating Easter with some good friends here in New York. She started walking, and again, once they start, they don't stop. They're all over the place. Micah walked on Thanksgiving Day in South Africa. Okay, we had some friends over uh, and, and celebrating Thanksgiving, which wasn't common for them, but he was, he was walking on Thanksgiving Day. Um, he started out moving from the lounge or the living room into the kitchen. And, and again, man, sometimes we look back and we say, I wish he didn't start quite so soon. You know, Um, and he was all over the place all the time. The first steps of our children are something that stays with us. If I asked you when your child took your first steps, you might be able to recount like I did the situation and the settings in which they walked for the first time. But you know what? Our children didn't just start walking, right? They didn't just wake up one day and start. It was a process, okay? 
And there were certain things that had to happen or should happen before they start walking. Before they start walking, they crawl around for a little bit. They get the idea of moving their legs. And, and before that, it's rolling over uh, and it's rolling first to their tummy and then it's rolling all the way over. And all of those milestones they hit in the process of learning how to walk. In the Christian life, we also learn how to walk. It's a process. It doesn't just happen. And that's why we, we try to encourage people to learn and grow. This, call, this, this learning how to walk, first of all, we see in Ephesians chapter 6 that there's a call to action. Paul says right there in verse 1 of chapter 6, he starts it off by addressing children. And he says, children! In other words, the children are supposed to stop and listen. Calling your attention. Hey, kids, are you listening? Children, Paul says, obey your parents. What'd you say? Obey your parents. Children, that's what you're supposed to do. You're called to obey. Who obeys? Well, the children obey. Those that are still at home, those that are still under the roof of mom and dad, mom and dad is still providing for them. This does not mean children under 12 years of age. Okay? Paul wasn't just talking to the little ones. He chose the Greek word that signified the relationship between a parent and a child. It is correct to understand the child here is the one that is still at home, still dependent on mom and dad for their, for their sustenance, for their livelihood. Children, obey your parents as long as you live in their home. We had a unique situation because we lived most of our lives in South Africa. We didn't have a home in America. And when we came back, we had to stay someplace else, okay? Many times, for half the time, half our year in the States, we would stay at Barb's mom and dad's. The other half of the year, we would stay at my mom and dad's, okay? And, and you know, that's a... That's a blessing for sure for us, but there were some unique things to that, some things that were a little more difficult. I mean, I still tried to honor my mom by the way we lived, and she had a very tiny house, okay? It didn't matter if she lived on Perkins Road where I grew up or where she lived after I got out of high school. Um, when we would go back to my mom's house, before 10 o'clock, she was in bed. And, you know, we were young, we had kids, we didn't necessarily always come home before 10 o'clock. So when we would get to my mom's house, I'd say, shh, grandma's going to be sleeping. Don't make too much noise. And it was really hard for Rachel because she slept in grandma's room. <laughs> okay? So she had to come into either the bathroom or to our room when the boys were not in our room and she could do her things that she needed to do to get ready for bed. And then she would quietly go into grandma's room and crawl into the, uh, the fold-away bed that was there trying not to wake up. So we tried to still honor our mom and our, and our mom and dad by the way we did things in their homes. We didn't have to. But they were gracious enough to allow us to stay in their home, so we wanted to still try and do our best to honor them. Can I tell you this, kids, that that phrase, honor your mom and dad, doesn't end when you move out of your house, out of their house, into your own house? You need to still honor them. Even today, no matter where you are, I'm a child still. I'm still my mom's baby, okay? And I still do my very best to honor her. Same with Barb's mom and dad. We, we strive to honor them because of all that they poured into our lives as we were growing up. And even once we were adults, they continued to pour into our lives. They were some of our biggest supporters as missionaries. And I'm not just talking about finances. Okay? They were willing to go the extra mile, do whatever they could do to make it so when we were in South Africa, we knew that they were supporting what we were doing, what God had called us to do. So children, honor your father and mother. <clears throat> he starts off, though, with his word, obey. Obey. Now, what does it mean to obey? Well, to obey is to listen, to pay attention to a command. And here's this word again. It seems to come up over and over again. To submit to what mom and dad tell you to do. 
And I know sometimes, because I told my kids, and you know, as, as a parent, we understand that the things that sometimes we tell our children to do, that we expect them to do, are not maybe the things that they want to do. May not be the most popular things for them to do. And so we're, we know that we're telling them something that kind of goes against their grain. Are you serious? You really want me to do that? Do you know what all my friends are doing? And you want me to do that? Sometimes it's, it's the exact opposite of what their friends are doing. But you know why your mom and dad tell you to do the things that you, they tell you to do. Because they're looking out for you. And I know you've heard it all. They, they do it because they love you. They do it because they want what is best for you. They do it because they're looking out for your long-term future. It's not just a saying, I'm doing this because I love you. It's the truth. It's the reality. You and I need to, children need to obey their parents. The example of obeying was given um, of a knock at the door. When you hear a knock at the door, your attention is aroused by the knock, right? Oh, and, and also in our house by the relentless barking of the dogs. We're working on that. They're not as, quite as bad as they used to be. Okay? But you get the knock on the door. It, it, it attracts your attention. And you get up and you go to the door and you listen to see who it is. And if it takes me a while to open the door, it's probably because my mind flashes back to the days in South Africa where you didn't just open your door. Because you didn't know who or what was knocking at your door and what they wanted. We always... Wait, we go to the door and we kind of listen to see what's going on outside there. One night in South Africa, I had, it was like almost getting close to midnight. And there's this knock on the door. It's Saturday night, okay? And I'm like, oh, great, what is going on now? So I get up and I walk and I look out the peephole and I can't see anything out the peephole. So I walk to the edge and I, and I look out, I pull the curtain back and I look out the window and I'm trying to, you know, there's burglar bars on the windows to keep us safe and, and they're closed. And, and I'm looking, I'm trying to figure out, oh, it's Sam. What does Sam want? Sam was a guy who would always come to our house looking for work. And most of the time, Sam was pretty well spent. So I'm thinking Saturday night, man, he's, gone. he's just, he's so far gone, he doesn't know what's going on. And then I catch a glimpse and I see him basically pass out. Uh-oh. And I look and I see he's got blood coming from his head. And I go, okay. So now I don't know if that happened before he got to my steps or if there was somebody else at my steps with him that did that to him and that's why he fell down. So I, I told Barbara what was going on. I said, you know, we've got to dial 10111. It's their equivalent to 911. So, and I didn't open the door because I didn't know what was going on. And my responsibility is what? Take care of my family, keep them safe, protect them. Okay? So um, I called 10111. Hello. And I said, my name is Tim Mowers. I live at 7 Popham Street. And I got a guy who's passed out on my front step. And so I had some questions. Okay, we'll send, we'll send somebody. Now, you can get to the police station within probably five or less than 10 minutes walking from our house, it's right around the corner at the shopping center. Um, and so like 20 minutes goes by and nobody's coming. So I call 10111 again and say, hey, this is Tim Mowers calling back. What's going on? Uh, and, you know, well, yeah, we're, get, we're busy tonight. We're get some. I said, this guy is passed out. I don't even know if he's breathing anymore. Well, have you checked on him? I said, no, I'm not opening my door. Okay, we'll say, well, somebody's coming. So eventually the police get there. I was thinking they would send an ambulance, right? The police get there. And, you know, the tensions that are between the police, and it just was not, if you think it's bad in America. Um, so these guys get there, and I figure, okay, it's safe to open my door now. So I open the door, and I unlock the burglar bar, and I kind of peek around the edge of the door and look and try to make sure. Now, you know, we're not going to bed that night because of all the stuff that's going on. And the police, they finally, not so kindly, not so gently, arouse him and get him in the back of the truck. I said, where are you? I said, aren't you waiting for the ambulance? No, we know what we're doing. We got this taken care of. Um, so anyway, the knock on the door, our attention was fully 
involved now. We know what's going to go on. We want to make sure that what's going on. I didn't open the door to find out what Sam wanted because I didn't know what was going on. But, but eventually we found out and, and Sam was taken to the police station and they dressed his wounds. And, you know, later on we hear him. Not that same night, but he, he was a regular um, and he wanted to work, and he wanted to do this, and he wanted to do that. So we wake up, we find out what's going on, we go to the door, we listen to the request, um, we listen to what they're telling us to do. We now figure out, hey, this is going to be my response. Kids, what's your response? The knock on the door is, children, the request is, or the command is, obey your parents. When Sam would say to me, Pastor, can I work for you? Can I, can I rake your garden? Can I mow your garden? Can I paint something? Can I, my, I had to respond to him. Sam, um, yeah, you can pull weeds out of the garden. Now, a garden is, is your whole grass. It's not just where you grow your plants or your vegetables or whatever. And, and we had these weeds that were called devil's thorns. I've told you about them. No matter where you stepped, you stepped on a thorn. You, that thorn found a way to get in your foot. Um, they were not nice. They were not. Pl- so, Sam, you want to do something? Pull those devil's thorns. Okay, boss. And that's what he did. And I paid him for his. But I had to listen to his request and I had to act on it. Children, obey your parents. You've heard the request, you've heard the command, and it didn't just come from the Apostle Paul, it came from God Himself. What are you going to do now? Are you going to listen? Are you going to do what God wants you to do? Are you going to obey your parents? Yeah, but you know, my friends don't do what their parents tell, you to do, tell them to do. And what's a, what's a parent's classic response to that? Are they your parents? Are you them? Well, of course they're not my parents. Of course I'm not them. Then what are you going to do? You know what you're supposed to do. You know what you've been told. You know what, the, you know what your response should be. You should be obedient. You should act upon the instruction that was given. So the challenge is obey. Obey who? Obey your parents. You know what that word means? Literally the ones who brought you into this world. And you know it goes along with that, right? I brought you into this world But not really, because who's in, who's in charge of that timing? God. So, children, I brought you into this world. That's the ones that you are to obey. That's the one you are responsible. But you know what? There's something that parents are responsible as well. They're to train you. They're to teach you. They're to instruct you. They're to help you figure out how to live in this world that they brought you into. So, children, obey your parents. That's the challenge. What's the circumstance surrounding this? Paul says, I want you to obey your parents in the Lord. Shoo, some children might say, my parents aren't Christians, so I don't have to obey them. Wrong answer. Well, what does that mean then when it says, in the Lord? Well, that means that the Lord made them your parents. So you better obey them. MacArthur explains it this way. He says, The child in the home is to be willingly under the authority of parents with obedient submission to them as the agents of the Lord placed over him. Obeying parents as if obeying the Lord himself. So parent, or so children, even if your parents aren't saved, you're supposed to obey them because God put you in their home. He didn't make a mistake. He knew what he was doing. And you know what? If you're, a, if you're a Christian and your parents aren't a Christian, he might use you to bring your mom and dad to Christ through your obedience. Or same if you're a grandchild and your, parent, your grandparents aren't born again. That could very well be the case. That could be God's plan for you in your life. So we have this call to action, we have this challenge, and we have the circumstances. God wants to use us for his honor and his glory. So kids, again, you don't have to answer this, but kids, what is the problem that often prohibits you from obeying your parents? You might not have the right 
attitude that allows you to obey your parents. So Paul addresses that a little bit. He says to us, obey your parents. And then he says, you need to keep your attitude right. How do you do that? By honoring your father and your mother. Honoring your father and mother. That helps you with your attitude. In verse 1, Paul was dealing with action. In verse 2, Paul is dealing with attitude. It's important for children to obey from the heart with the right motive. You must obey with your heart for the right motives. There's a little children's song that we used to teach our kids and teach our, our kids in, in Sunday school. It's, you know what it is. It's O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And there's a part in that song where they get to the, the word obedience and they shout it out. We must be obedient. We must do what God wants us to do. I must obey. Because that's how I show my love. I obey. God didn't just institute this concept of honoring mom and dad because he wanted to make life difficult for children, especially teenagers. He instituted it because he knew that it's the key to stability within any given society. We've talked about this before. Why does Satan go after the family? Why does Satan want to break down the family? Why is Satan happy when countries have bad family structures? Because even... Studies by the world from secular points of view show us that if the families are weak, if there's not a strong family, if there's not a mom and a dad present in the lives of children, then families are weak and the fiber, the very moral fiber of the country becomes weaker and weaker and weaker as families are weaker and weaker and weaker. Colleen, is that... Is that Accurate? You, you were in child protective for a long time. It's easy to understand that, right? The, the best situation for a child is for a stable home where there's a mom and a dad. Why, is that make, why does that make sense? Because that's the way God set it up. And Satan's been attacking it since the very beginning. He wants to tear it down. He wants it to be weak. God gave us this principle because he wanted our families to be well and healthy and he wanted our children to grow up in stable situations. One commentator makes this comment. He says, the key to societal stability is reverence and respect for parents and their authority. Can I tell you this? And again, I'm not trying to get on a political hobby horse. But you know what's lacking in our society today? Respect. That's lacking. And you know why it's lacking? Because it's not taught and it's not expected in the home. If we have respect for our mom and dad, we're much more likely to have respect for our teachers and for the, those in authority like police and, and other, other people like that. God set it up. And when it's working the way it's supposed to be working, the problems are much more minimal than they are when things aren't working. The key to stability is respect in the home, which flows out of the home into the other situations we find ourselves in. Children, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. In other words, there's a promise for those of you who do this, who honor your mom and dad. There's a promise. What's the promise? That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. This promise is actually a quote that Paul is giving and reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 12. It primarily related to life in the promised land. And it reminded the Israelites that God would not tolerate juvenile delinquency. He wouldn't tolerate it. There were severe consequences for it. It's not just, oh, well, you know, and and excuses that follow. Parents shouldn't tolerate it either. They should have their home lives in control. At the heart of every child's delinquent behavior 
is overt disrespect for parents and disrespect for authority. This must be true in our society, and as parents, as Christians, we must be striving for that. Even as grandparents, as hard as it might be, we want to teach our grandkids to respect mom and dad and others in positions of authority. So there's a certain question that all children now are going to ask. It starts around the age of two and three. Anybody want to guess what that question is? Why? Each of our children went through a phase in their life where no matter what you said, it could be, do you want, do you want popcorn? Why? Do you want a chocolate bar? Why? Do you want to go to bed? Why? Do you want, you want daddy to hold you? Why? It's just, that's what it was. Why, 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 why? And you know what? Paul anticipates that, I think. And, and, and when he says, children, obey your parents, honor them, what are they going to say? Why? Why do I have to do that? Well, simply put, and I love this, because <laughs> God said so. Ch- kids, how many times have you had, um, when you said, why do I have to do that? And mom or dad's response is, because I said so. Yeah. I used to teach in a Christian school, and this one girl kept getting in trouble, and so I disciplined her, and she went home, and she told her parents, Mr. Mowers won't let me go out for recess, and she asked Mr. Mowers why, and her answer was, because, yeah, because he said, I said so. She didn't tell her, her mom and dad, that 10 times before I said, I said so, it's because you didn't do this, this homework, you didn't do this homework, you didn't do this homework, you didn't do this, you didn't get your homework done before break time. She didn't tell all of the stuff that led up to it. She just said, because Mr. Maurer said, I said so. So her parents made an appointment with, to, to meet with Pastor Kip and I, and, and they said, and what is this so-and-so has to do such and such because Mr. Maurer said so? And Pastor Kip looked at him and said, is there any other reason she needs? And I was like, yes! Thank you, Pastor Kip. Kids, if God, if mom and dad say so, they're saying so because God said so. And there is no other reason you need to do it than because God said so. And you know what, adults? There's no other reason that you and I should do the right thing either other than God said so. And if we can get that sorted out in our minds, it's going to make life and society so much better. Because God said so. God wants us to do what he asks us to do, what he tells us to do, and even what he commands us to do. There's another implication here. Paul says that it's the first commandment with a promise. So there's a promise for those who obey their their parents. What's the promise? That your days may be long upon the earth. That your days may be long in a land in which God promised them and God gave to them. You see, those that are uh, submitting to their parents and living a life of discipline, self-discipline even, and obedience to the things of God, they will likely live a long life. Why? Because you're not subjecting your body to bad behavior and the things that go with it. When you subject your body to those bad things... You're going to reap the consequences of those bad things that you've been putting your body through. I used to work when I was in high school at Phase Drugs in Messina. And I, could, I knew that every Memorial Day weekend, I was working the morning shift from the time the store opened till probably 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Because everybody else that worked there was out at Barnhart Island partying. They were drinking and they were doing other things that they shouldn't have been doing and and they weren't in no condition to come into work at 9 o'clock in the morning. And then when they came into work, they're like, oh, no, no, don't say that on the intercom. It's too loud. Oh, it's killing me. And and some of them, we sit in a bucket with a bucket in front of them, not able to do the work that they were supposed to work because they were doing the things they shouldn't have been doing the night before. And I said, well, what did you do at Barn? Oh, we had a great time. What'd you do? I don't remember, but it was great. Well, who'd you do it with? I don't know. Who was there? I can't remember. Well, how do you know it was a great time? Because there was a lot of beer there. 
How do you feel? I feel awful. What made it great? What, what made it so, so wonderful? They, they didn't know. Just because that's what everybody else was doing. You know what? Not only does it have an impact on the morning after, but it also has a mo- an impact into the future of your life. Sometimes they did things that they, you know, really got in trouble for. Cops were called and records were established and so on and so forth. When you obey your parents, when you live the way God has instructed your parents to teach you how to live, you can be confident that it's setting you up for a better way of life in the days to come. You might not think it right now, but it will allow you to walk the worthy walk that God has called you to walk. Well, let's move on. We want to talk about benefiting the walk. Or, or how, do we, how do we help our children walk better? You know, um, when our children start walking, they often need an aid to walk. Josh had this push-behind thing, because after, after Christmas, um, Josh wanted to keep Nathan's, but we wouldn't let him, so we went out and bought one for him. And he continued to use that thing, pushing it all over the place, from one end of the house to the other. And then he would want to go for a walk, so... You know, what, what's mommy and daddy do? They put their finger out and he grabs a hold of the finger and, they, and he just starts walking. Sometimes we both put our fingers out and he walks between, between the two of us and he can go wherever he wants, right? We're helping him walk. And then he gets to the point where he doesn't need our help. And, and you know what else happens? As he gets more stable on his feet, he's not kind of like, he's just moving. He, he's, in fact, before long, he starts running. One foot in front of the other and he's running. Micah used to, he used to take a ball and he would throw it up on the roof. Now, now I did this when I was little. I would throw it up on the roof and I'd wait, come back down and catch it. Not Micah. He'd throw the ball up on the roof and he'd have a bat in his hand. And he'd run to where the ball was coming down. He'd wait and he'd hit the ball. But he couldn't do that if he just kind of, you know, take. He got much more stable on his feet. He would run and he would get set up and he would. You see, that's what we want. We want our kids to to get better in this thing called walking. We want them to be able to walk and run and jump and do whatever. Ski, skate. I mean, I grew up in Messina, so by the time you were five years old, you were playing ice hockey with skates on your feet. You couldn't do that if you weren't walking, right? You had to to get up to snuff. You had to get up to where everybody else was. And when your kids don't get up to where everybody else is at the same point in their life, you become concerned. Mom and dad, as, as Christian parents, if your children aren't growing in the Lord, you should be concerned. You should want to know why. And you should be taking whatever steps you can to help them grow more effectively, walk better. And Paul says, I've got some advice for you moms and dads. Let's start with the dads. First of all, he says, avoid exasperation. You can help your children walk better by not provoking your children to wrath. Now, I know that some of the kids like that verse. I loved that verse when I was growing up. <laughs> I didn't have a father, but I could say, Mom, you can't provoke me to wrath. She could say, yes, I can, because I'm not your father. I said, but you're supposed to, you're in the place of my father. No, we didn't actually have that conversation, but sometimes I felt like it. See, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Favorite verse among some young people. But let's see if we can find out what this verse actually means. And then we'll see if there's a need for changed behavior on the part of mom and dad and children. He says here, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't exasperate them. Don't do things that you know will intentionally make them angry. As I studied out this word, I discovered it has a range of meanings. It can mean to excite, which is not necessarily a bad thing, or it can mean to inflame the anger inside of it. Well, that's not necessarily a good thing. It can also mean to cause irritation or annoyance. Now, I have five grandkids. One of them, every time I see him, he wants me to tickle him. Grandpa, tickle me. Grandpa, will you tickle me? Grandpa, can I have a tickle hug? Some of them, well, that's, that's the oldest and the youngest, okay? As soon as I walk into the driveway, if Esme's outside, she'll look at me, 
and she starts to run the other way. She's not, she's not running because she doesn't want to be around me. She's running because she wants me to chase her and catch her and tickle her. And so when I catch her and tickle her, she looks at me and she says, stop. So I stop, right? Not trying to provoke her. So I stop. Two seconds later, she says, again, again, tickle me again. I'm happy to oblige. So I tickle her some more, stop. So I stop, again. And then before you know it, the one who doesn't really like to be tickled that much, Addie will come up and say, Grandpa, tickle me. Are you sure? Yes, tickle me. Again. And so we have this game, right? But, but dads, don't provoke your children. Don't, don't intentionally inflame the anger that is inside of them. Don't cause irritation and annoyance. I can walk by Josiah, he's watching TV, and every time, if I, if I touch him, he... And he loves it. If I walk by and don't t- t- touch him and tickle him, he's like, Grandpa, tickle me. But if you do it and you know they don't like it, you're, you're annoying them, and you're causing things that, to, to creep into their mind that you don't really want to have in their minds. Don't irritate. Don't do things that make the situation worse or more grievous. Jay Adams describes this word. I like the way he does it. He likens it to taking the wind out of them or taking the heart out of the child. I want to take some time this morning to talk about provoking children. There are really two things that provoke children to wrath. And they both have to do with discipline. Here they are. The first thing that provokes a child to wrath, believe it or not, doesn't have anything to do with tickling. It has to do with under-discipline. What are you talking about, under-discipline? Well, there's a good book with lots of help for parents. It's another Jay Adams book. It's called Christian Living in the Home. Uh, In this book, Adams makes this statement. He says, The most interesting fact that emerges in talking with young people is that it is not discipline itself, nor even primarily over-discipline, but rather it is under-discipline that exasperates kids more than anything else. Under-discipline. You know why? Because they don't know what you expect of them. They know what you want from them. Here's some examples. Inconsistent discipline, it, it, it provokes children. If you're inconsistent, if you're always changing the rules from day to day, if you, if you haven't set the boundaries and the kids don't know where to go and they don't know what to do and they don't know what is expected of them, they, they become frustrated, they become angry. They need to know the rules. And I know that sounds like a terrible thing in today's society. There needs to be rules for children to follow. And when those rules are set, the boundaries are set, the children know where they're supposed to, how far they can go, and, and how far, what they shouldn't do. They need to know the rules, they need to abide by the rules, and if they don't abide by them, again, contrary to what society is telling us, they need to know that there will be consequences for not following the rules that have been set. You can have a conversation with them. There are some rules that parents set that are parents' preferences, There are some rules that God says, thou shalt not. And you can talk about the parent preferences and have some leniency there, but you can't really debate the thou shalt nots from God or the thou shalts from God. You need to stick to those things. But the children need to understand why. And it's all right to say, because the Bible says that's the way it should be. They need to know that the Bible is our authority. So inconsistent discipline provokes children. Another thing that provokes children is too many rules. So, Pastor, you're talking about under-discipline, I thought. Well, too many rules obviously result in not being able to enforce all of the rules. So at some point you say, okay, I'm just going to forget it. I'm not going to enforce any of them. You have to be realistic in your discipline and what you set up as, as guidance and as rules. It's better to have fewer rules and enforce them than lots of rules and never enforce them. 
Another comment from Adams, he says, you can teach discipline and obedience better with one rule properly enforced than with 25 rules that you could never follow up on. Once you get the results from one rule, you know what you can do? Introduce another rule. In the long run, you'll move faster this way. When I'm on the bus and I have these two little girls, they just talk and they're twin sisters. Talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And when they're talking, the next thing you know, they're standing up. And they got one foot in the aisle. So I look in the mirror and I say, hey, Miss So-and-so, sit down. Okay, bus driver. You know I can get pretty loud, right? Hey, sit down. And it works. One time I had to tell them like five or six times, sit down. So they're the last ones off the bus. They come to the front. I open the door and dad's standing there. I said, hey, you know why Mr. Tim tells you that you have to sit down inside your seat? No. Because if Mr. Tim has to stop the bus real fast, you know what's going to happen if you're standing up outside of your seat? You're going to come flying down that aisle and you might hit that window right there. And it won't be nice. And dad says, yes, you better sit down in the bus. They don't stand up in the bus anymore. They knew. They know, and they know why. Now we're going to start working on not being so loud on the bus. That might not be as easy. But you know what? We got the first rule down, so let's work on the second rule. It works in the, ho- in the home the same way. Here's another one. Maybe say, I got those two down, Pastor. You got anything else for me? Here's one. Divided authority in the home can cause your children to become exasperated. Mom and dad, you guys, you guys make the rules, so you need to know the rules. And you need to agree on the rules, and you also need to agree on the discipline when the rules are not followed. Children are masters at playing mom against dad. You know, we think it's cute, this thing that you get on your coffee mug. If mom says no, ask dad. If dad says no, ask grandma. If all else fails, ask grandpa. That's cute, right? No, it's not. And, and here's another thing. When we're in Josh and Katie's house, I don't discipline the kids. Not my business. Mom and dad's business. I can get up and leave if I don't like what's going on. But I'm not going to undermine their authority. And... and, and when the kids used to come to us, hey, Dad, can I do this? You know what my question was? What would mom say? Well, I said, well, you're asking me. What did mommy say? Mommy said I can't do it. Well, why are you asking me? There was a united front. Has to be. Can't play. Can't allow that to go on. And, and, and it makes it difficult for children to have divided authority in the home. You know what else exasperates the children? We're going to move quickly now. Is over-discipline. Problem that leads to provoking children. Let, let's just briefly tell you some of the ways that you can over-discipline. One of them is flaunting your authority. It's all right to say, I said so. But, but you have to live that life that allows you to say that. You can't just flaunt your authority. Unfairness and punishment. You can't punish one child uh, for something and not punish the other child. It must fit, and, and here's the other thing, it must fit the, the, whatever they did that was wrong, the punishment must fit what they did wrong. You, can I say this? Maybe we should turn the video off. Um, if you spank your children, spanking should be the last thing, last resort. And it should be for direct rebellion against authority, against you know, absolute rebellion. You don't spank a child because they didn't flush the toilet. Okay? And there could be other examples. But, but the, the, the punishment must fit whatever it is that they did that was unacceptable. You can't, here's another one, you can't stop communicating. If a child has a question, you want to answer the question. It's always good to allow for proper communication to take place and to encourage communication within the home. 
When you shut down communication, it will exasperate your children. It's okay for them sometimes to ask why, especially as they get older and older. They want to know the reason behind it. So give it to them. Sometimes giving them the reason helps them understand why they shouldn't do it. And then lastly, we want to encourage by example. Paul says here, bring them up in the training and in the admonition of the Lord. Once again, Paul employs the substitution principle here. Take out what is bad, provoking children to wrath, and put in what is good, proper training. Okay? Um, we want to provide for their growth and well-being. Paul says, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Provide for their growth and their well-being. This means that we rear them tenderly or in love. Proverbs teaches us to train up a child in the way they would go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. That, that idea is train them according to the bent in their personality. However God has made them, train them that way and encouraging them in the right and discouraging the wrong. There's lots of things that we can talk about. We don't have time to do that. But provide for their growth and their well-being. Love them and, and encourage them. Provide them with what is necessary for them to grow and to love you and love our great God and Savior. We want to promote the necessary atmosphere. He says, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. This tells us how we bring them up. The word training has to do with discipline as much as it has to do with teaching. Um, maybe the concept of uh, basic training or the police academy. It, people don't, aren't just released to become soldiers, right? You don't just sign up and say, okay, go, here's a uniform, here's a gun, go out and, and, and fight the bad people. They have to go through basic training. They have to learn the, 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 the concepts and, and the responsibilities and, and, the, and the whys and the wherefores. Mike is in the police academy, you know that. And um, so he has to understand why these laws are in place. He's studying case law right now. Not his favorite thing, but he understands it's important. And he's actually told me the other day he's enjoying it because it's teaching me why. So, so you, you train them. You give them what they need to understand. And they're also said, and if you don't do it this way, this is what's going to happen to you. It's the concept of, of, of doing right and being trained to do what is right. It's not always easy being in basic training. You know, you don't like it when the drill instructor yells at you and says, all right, give me 20 or give me 50 or whatever. But they're, they're instilling that discipline so that you're ready to respond to the commands on the battlefield. People appreciate the discipline that is instilled in their life because it helps them respond well on the battlefield and it saves their life. In the training and in the admonition, admonition is the verbal instruction. Primarily this has to do with what is said to the child as you discipline them, as you bring them up. It must be earnest, not just a feeble conversation. There needs to be stern warning when it's not heated. Perhaps there needs to be a different way of communicating along with the discipline. And then lastly, we see purpose living. The nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There's a purpose here. And the purpose is to remind them of what God expects of them. Not only has Paul told us how and, and why, but now that he's dealing with the manner the discipline and the admonition must be done as from the Lord. That's why you can say, I'm doing this because I love you, just the way the Lord loves me. Quality, not quantity. God wants us to spend um, our lives raising our children to honor Him and to love Him. Paul's saying here, these things cannot just be spoken to the children. They must be lived out. They must be demonstrated by mom and dad. The children must see in us, in our in moms and dads, a consistent godly example of what the Lord expects from them. If mom and dad are walking the worthy walk, the children are likely to follow in that path. And what a blessing that is, to have your children walk worthy and to witness them walking as they should. Walking worthy is not just for mom and dad. It's for the kids as well. 
Mom and dad set the example, kids follow the example, and they begin to live as God would have them to live. Kids, God wants you to put yourself under the authority of mom and dad. God wants you to obey mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and do what God asks them to do as you honor them and you honor the Lord. Dads, and that's a specific, here's a specific command. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Doesn't mean he's not talking to moms, but maybe moms are less likely to do that than dads. I don't know. But dads, don't provoke your children to wrath. He wants you to teach your children in the biblical ways and the biblical means and then see what God will do as a result. And you know what? Ask your kids from time to time, how am I doing? How, how are we doing as a family? Things that we need to change, things that we need to talk about and allow the Lord to demonstrate his grace and give wisdom in the areas that sometimes are very, very difficult. Worthy walk in the home, not always easy, but it is blessed by God when it happens. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you'd help us. Kids, we gave you a lot of information about being obedient to mom and dad. We've talked to moms and dads about how they can properly raise their children. Lord, help us to follow the examples, follow the teachings of the Word of God here this morning and live and teach and walk as we ought to walk. Father, we know we can't do this in our own strength because it's contrary to what we want to do. So we need your help, we need your blessing, we need your direction as we live uh, and strive to have that worthy walk. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.